Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Jeremy Wall. And I'm Ralph Enough, and I'm very excited to be back again with Jeremy in the studio. Jeremy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. We've got a really interesting topic for today's show, I think. Absolutely. It's a topic that's been on our to-do list for over a year. We've had notes on this very topic for a long time. Um, huge thanks to Paige Neo, who started an awesome and amazing uh, thread on our Facebook page about the subject, building your community. And uh, so we're going to take a deep dive into that and go into that rabbit hole and see what happens when we come out the other side. Uh, but before we get there, what's going on in your hobby, Jeremy? Next weekend, I have the Alamo GT, which will be my first live tournament in a while. Um, so they're holding it in a big um, convention space with plenty of room and masks and temperature. And um, the county that San Antonio is in is in green. They're actually, I think they only had 23 new cases today. So I've been following that. So I feel with all those precautions and everything, I feel good about going. You know, Rob, I don't have uh, any really like uh, elderly people or sick people or really people at risk. So I feel like I'm willing to take a little bit of, of risk to go um, to a tournament. So sounds like it's going to be super fun. I'll have my hotel room to go up uh, and retreat uh, after the games. So I've been kind of getting ready for stuff for that. I did. Um, I showed you, uh, I put on the Facebook page, normally one of your crew goes, uh, and I can borrow one of your display boards, but uh, I know with this time, not everyone feels comfortable going to tournaments, which is totally cool. So I had to come up with some sort of idea for a display board slash board, you know, to carry between games. So I'd had a white sort of like chalkboard frame from Michael's that I'd had for a long time that I was going to use as my Basilean uh, display board. But I wasn't quite sure how to do one quickly. So I had a game mat that was a smaller size. So we're talking like, you know, the neoprene mat, right? I had a, 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 I think it was fat mat, but it was one of the smaller ones that I had for Vanguard. And it had a huge, it had a, got a really bad stain on it. So I just kind of had kept it and really wasn't using it. So what I did was uh, the white picture frame was 24 by 24. So I just cut a square out of the mat and used that as like the base of the display board. Um, and then I built some um, cork mountains and put some basing doodads and flocked it up. Um, so I finished that. That came out pretty good. Kind of like I was looking for a somewhere in the middle of a quick and easy display board, but something that looks really clean, uh, you know, and trying to find that sort of middle ground. Genius. So I shipped that out to Texas uh, yesterday at the UPS store, which was not cheap. Uh, I was hoping to get like, I thought of maybe buying a, a bigger ch checked bag suitcase and just check it. But it, the, the board is just big enough that all the suitcases that fit it were like 63 total inches, 64 total inches. And Southwest, it's checked bag is 62 total inches or you have to pay like a bunch extra and they may not check it depending on how big like the plane is. So 
I had to ship it, but that's done. Oh, I had finished my dragon. Um, I hadn't done a show since I did that. So the the Manticore. So that is project is done. Um, finally. So, and that came out pretty well. It came out great. Yeah. It's amazing. The wing, the, the work on the wings was spectacular. And that was the one thing, you know, we, we've talked about it with Austin and Billy and other painters of trying new each thing, trying something different. And I know for that guy, that was going to be the big thing. I wanted to try to practice was painting and texture. Mm -hmm. So like having a flat surface or somewhat flat surface and trying to create the illusion of some sort of like skin sinewy texture, which is what I tried to do. So, um, I finished that. So basically for this week, I have two troops of infantry that I took the masters, two paladin foot guard troops that were just base coated and washed. So I have, so this week my plan is to go through them, give them some highlights. One of my units of Gur Panthers, I want to spruce up a little bit. So no units to finish per se, but just a few things to get, uh, uh, all cleaned up and try to get them as, as polished as possible. What about you? What have you been up to? It's not a whole lot on the hobby front, really just been buying a lot of models. Uh, I have been hiring a lot of people that work. And so I've spent a lot of extra time, uh, doing training and hopefully that will slow down in another month. And I'm hoping that, you know, come uh, mid-November, December, I'm going to have a lot more hobby time around the house because obviously I've got a bunch of PTO coming up. So hopefully I will uh, get some some winter painting in. So uh, both I've got to finish some Dead Zone. I've got to keep working on the Kingdoms of Men. I have a ton of ogres. And let's not forget that huge investment in Armada. So uh, I am not short on hobby commitments for sure. Yeah, I sent in my payment to uh, the War Room for my Armada stuff through PayPal this last week. So I'm totally excited for that stuff. Uh, and it's one of those things. I was surprised. We were I was playing with Tony Rogers. Uh, we were playing an Alamo prep game because he's going to Alamo too at our local game store that's doing um, some limited in-store gaming. You know, you have to reserve a table because they're only doing a couple tables so that they can be spread out. So we have one table that we've been play- reserving uh, every other weekend and um, we had a couple of people who were like walking by who didn't really know what we were playing. But Tony and I were talking about Armada and there's two or three people who were like, oh, yeah, I'm totally excited for that game. You know, and then they kind of hung out and watched our Kings of War game. So maybe in some way Armada will do for Kings of War what Vanguard was hoping to do is like be another another sort of pathway into the main game is maybe people play Armada really love the universe or love the rules and then they want to you know try something else within mantic universe but there so there is a lot of hype for uh armada i know they're close to selling out on a lot of their pre-order stuff all these other ancillary games like dead zone and stuff i think they all they don't necessarily move or promote the game of kings of war but what they do is they they highlight and they they encourage hey look at this mantic games company right and it's it's almost like an introduction to mantic games itself uh and then once you're in that portfolio people can find games that are of interest uh to them so yeah it's, it's a great way to uh to, to, to spread the mantic love just introduce people to the company that maybe have never heard about it or they've seen kings of war, kings of war once or twice but they want to give armada a try and then maybe you know through that you can get them to try kings of war or other games you know so but it's like the first time i've been at a game store where i'm talking about something and someone like, like a mantic product and someone comes up who i don't know and is like oh wow i'm really excited for that too so it was nice to hear that's a good development 
Yeah, and then uh, we have a, a fun new thing, Rob. Uh, Countercharge now has its very own voicemail. So we do have a voicemail set up now. The number is 816-CTR-CHRG, which translates into 816-287-2474. So I think this was a fun addition we've been talking about wanting to do uh, on the show for a while, right, Rob, where people can call in. You know, we're looking at maybe doing like a weekly, uh, a call of the week or a call of the month or maybe a a call every two weeks where someone proposes like an interesting question or maybe has something funny or is a rant, you know, on something that they like or don't like. And then we'll play it on the play it on air and then we'll give a little chat about it. But, yeah, I think it's a cool idea, Rob, to go ahead and have another way for the audience to take part in the show. There are so many people that, given the climate we live in, want nothing to do with Facebook. And, um, you know, I, I would say that. I would like to think that we're kind of our, our countercharge Facebook page is kind of like an island in the, uh, the the ocean of insanity sometimes. But I totally get if people don't want to deal with Facebook. So this is another way for us to engage um, engage them. And so yeah, if you want to give us some feedback, by all means, eight one six countercharge. Well, let's take a quick commercial break, and on the other side, let's dive into our main topic: how to grow your community. This is Paige from Singapore with the YouTube Battle Report channel Newbie Dice, and you're listening to Zanshen Fanji. And we are back. Um, so as Rob said, uh, this episode we're going to talk about community building, which I think, Rob, community building at the best of times is, can be really challenging, let alone trying to build a community within the COVID umbrella. So I think as like a kind of a prologue or preface to our discussion, I think we, we may dip in a little bit in and out of both camps, right? Of how would you build or what's important for building a community within a normal environment? And then how has COVID affected that really, right? Because uh, we are living in this time where, where building a community is that much more of a challenge. So we'd had that idea to talk about that for a while, but what prompted us to sort of circle back, actually get a show together for that was page on our uh, Facebook page, had put in a, a really interesting post, right, Rob, that uh, sort of touched base on uh, on community building, and, and it sparked a really good discussion. Um, so that was sort of like what we were going to kind of talk about today is, again, just kind of like looking at what Paige had to say, but also touching a little bit about on what you guys, the audience, had to say as sort of this dialogue developed over time. And then maybe Rob and I can put our two cents into, um, you know, thoughts or aspects uh, about community building because really community building can be happening at all levels, right? Community building doesn't mean you have to be making a 50 person local community. It could be something smaller. And I think that's one of the things that Paige first sets in his uh, message, right? Of, of talking about how his local Kings of War scene was struggling at, at about six active players with with six to eight additional sometimes players and to me i hear that rob and that's like oh my gosh that's thriving i think there is a reflex for warhammer refugees to think of the glory days of warhammer fantasy but but locally even warhammer fantasy you know six to eight active players we would be you know that was good for us and consider this we were the north american home for gw (laughs) we had a memphis battle bunker here and, you know, our tournaments, if we got 12 players at one of our tournaments, we were astounded. So, yeah, I mean, uh, sizes and everything. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a, a, a right or wrong number for what a community should be, right? I mean, ideally, I think you want more than 
just yourself and just one other person. But I think if you hit that six to eight player range, that means on any given weekend, you're going to, you could, are you any, any given game night, you're having two to three games in the store, which I think that's pretty good. So when, when thinking about maybe this sort of first topic, when we're talking about growing communities, I don't think you necessarily have to immediately step one to be like, I'm going to grow the biggest, baddest 80 person, local tournament scene forever it's okay to start small right you know we live in a world of many many games so the glory days you know of you know late 90s early 2000s where where it was all gw those days are over um at our store on any given saturday maybe 40 percent of the games are gw and the other 60 percent are other things like battletech Kings of War, Malifaux, Infinity, Marvel Crisis Protocol. Because we live in an age where gaming is so splintered, I think it's going to be really hard to, to, you know, to really get twenty-person, you know, local communities. So, so I figured what we do tonight, Jeremy, is we will take uh, some of the comments from that discussion thread, share them with the audience, um, especially the ones that provided uh, interesting tidbits or interesting uh, things. To think about things that really push the the conversation forward in a positive manner. So, so let's start with Paige's uh, original post. So, some real talk here. Might have repetitive points, but I'm just pouring out my thoughts. My local scene has been struggling. We have maybe six active players and another six to eight occasional players. Kings of War presence is in one store out of about five stores in our city state. I'm sure this size is familiar to some communities. It's hard to grow the community when people often just go for GW games. Let's face it, GW's reach is so far surpassing Mantic. Every tabletop gamer, other than historical, pretty much knows GW before anything else. In a niche community of tabletop gaming, GW is a safe space where everyone in the hobby knows, and any other company's game is like venturing into dangerous territory. Even at the store we play at, during our lockdown, the game's stores... Products went online and GW and hobby products started flying off their shelves to collectors and even closet gamers that weren't regular customers. The store owner is a Warhammer Fantasy Battle and Kings of War player at heart. And both the store managers play Kings of War, but with Kings of War product hardly moving, they have to focus their efforts where their income is. Store regulars are going through specialist GW games seasonally, from Kill Team to Warcry to Underworlds to Blood Bowl, and now a Necromunda campaign is starting. Even new communities for these specialist games grow faster than Kings of War. We did try to interest the regulars with Kings of War, but the take-up has been very low. Mass battle ranks and flanks are ultimately another niche within the niche of tabletop gaming, with a high barrier to entry. Kings of War Vanguard has not been the entry drug that was planned to be even regular kings of war players like me and pathfinder general Gaddafi find it hard to get into vanguard and the draw of skirmish games from gw is much higher from beautiful models and terrain sets as well as release schedule release schedule that any other miniature company would struggle to keep up with to being able to tie into their big boy games aos and 40k it's hard to tackle gw gamers on the skirmish battleground as well Dead Zone seemed to have some success in some parts of the world, so Gad and I got a starter set to try it out, and at some point, you know, dot, 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 as both of our lives getting busier, it was a challenge to learn and play a new game regularly, let alone push it. I'm placing some hope on Armada, as a naval game might scratch 
some gamers itch that GW can't satisfy. We'll see how that goes. Of course, there's also trying to get a totally new wargamer into the fray, but how do we do that? GW has definitely done a great job making their games very accessible. Their controversial paint pots are this way by design, to paint straight out of the pot. Everything GW is to lower the barrier for curiously seeing the box of miniatures at the game store to actually playing the game on the table. So how do we grow a community of Kings of War gamers past the shadow of the Warhammer end times? With each year, the concept of rank and flank mass battle games becoming an unknown concept to prospective players who will always see the new shinies of GW and the much bigger pool of gamers compared to the scraps of communities in any other game system. Not bashing GW here, just trying to find a way to grow the community in a niche hobby and the over, under the overbearing shadow of GW's success in this niche. There's a lot to unpack there, Jeremy. <laughs> um, so I, let, let's start with his first comment about six active players. Hey man, if you got six active players, that's fan-freaking-tastic. You know, I don't know what you're seeing, Jeremy, but uh, this past Saturday we had seven show up to play, and that was that's unusual. I mean, like four to six on a Saturday is pretty consistent for us. That's when I talk about like in the top of the show that it's okay to start small, or you know, it's okay in in like Paige said, in a niche of a niche to to have a smaller community, and everything that starts small can still grow. So I think actually like. The six to eight players is a really good start. If you're in a community that doesn't have a lot of people, uh, trying to pick up just that nice handful so if one or one person can't play, you can still get a game in is good. So I, don't, I, I think that number-wise, number, number wise, that's not a bad space to be at. One thing that Paige sort of brings up, and I think it's a thread through his some of the other uh, comments, is that GW very much is its own entity, its own nation, its own like country. It has a brand awareness that is really high, right? Everyone sort of knows if you're in the gaming community or gaming world, whether it's tabletop, role-playing, video games, you sort of know what Games Workshop is. So I think a lot of stores can be popular and sell Games Workshop stuff because Games Workshop has a certain amount of inertia, a certain amount of momentum, a certain amount of brand awareness, where in many history where in many ways the store doesn't have to sell it whereas these other games tend to tend to take off in game stores that have um a strong sense of building communities and giving uh place for people to play and really often people within that community are are game store owners who want to uh, push games or teach people games. She's like you said, you all know it. There's lots of different kinds of game stores. The, the one main game store we're really familiar with is you go into the game store, bunch of GW stuff, a couple of random things. And there's a guy behind the counter because he's needs a job, but doesn't necessarily want to work. So he's just hanging out at the game store. Like there's some people who open game stores who I don't even know why they open a game store. They just want a place to go and hang out and not have to have a real job. Whereas other game stores that are fully stocking other lines, running demo days, building slow grow leagues. I mean, game stores who they they run their uh, they run it like an actual business, right? That's when I think you see all these secondary games take off, right? Like Affinity, Malifaux, all those games seem to be popular in the better run. 
the game stores that you walk in and everything's clean and organized and run well. Does that resonate with you at all, what I'm saying, Rob? Yeah, I mean, he also makes the comment, you know, GW is a safe space. And I think there's some truth to that. Like, that may be some folks' entry point into the hobby because it is so omnipresent. But, like, I can only speak for our store. You know, there's a lot of non-GW gaming going on <laughs> on any one Saturday, right? Sure, you know, there's always a 40k game going. But in, in our store, there's way more uh, Kings of War being played than AOS. The, probably the right place to say, we're not competing with GW. The, the goal here is to provide an alternative to for people that are looking for something different. Whether that's Malifaux, Kings of War, Marvel Crisis Protocol, uh, Infinity, whatever. I mean, the, the good stores that are successful diversify their product and cater to every game system. And it's kind of like, G, GW in some ways, Rob, to give like a video game analogy, is that there's lots of different online role-playing games, but there's always going to be World of Warcraft, no matter what happens that game will always exist because people go back to it. It's what they first started with. They, it, it, there is that sense of familiarity. So in a lot of ways, GW is like that. It doesn't mean that these other games can't thrive or have vibrant communities or whatever. I think it's trying to get the message out on what the games have to offer, what these other games have to offer. But I think being uh, having a default of being antagonistic towards GW or GW players, I think in the end is only going to hurt you because those players either will never try Kings of War or maybe they'll try it. So I think trying to just come at it to realizing in the end we're all playing the same hobby, even if we're using different rule sets, we're still all part of like one family of gamers and that it's okay if we play different games. Page also makes the comment about uh, during the lockdown, his, his store GW products on uh, the web store and they flew off the shelves. Well, that's normal, right? They have a built-in player base that's that's fanatical. And you know what? Good on them because that supports the store and it keeps the lights on. Uh, over time, other game systems can do the same thing. But, you know, we don't have the 40 years that GW has. And I, and I think in the end, trying to, like, tackle the problem by, uh, if only we can, like, sell as much Mantic stuff as GW stuff... That's just, it's not going to happen, right? They're just such a huge company. So again, I think, I think to me, the core of community building, uh, the first step, and I think you mentioned it, Rob, is you got to get the game in front of people's eyeballs. You got to, you got to get them um, to see the game because I think Kings of War is definitely one of those games, and all you know. And uh, Paige mentions it about rank and flank in general, right? That a lot of the magic of rank and flank comes between comes from like the majesty of the table you know of having that full pain and army so i think often for these sub games outside of the gw notoriety the uh, sort of step one is just trying to get the game in front of people so that they can try it yeah you know he spends a lot of time chatting about gw and, and i think uh, you know one of one of his other comments is that you know the store regulars are going through the motion of going through all the various specialist games, you know, Warcry, Kill Team, Underworld, Blah Blah. That's not uncommon from 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 many stores, right? But like, there's a subset of the GW folks that are really just chasing the cult of the new, right? They're just jumping from one game to another. Once they jump to the new game, the old game is completely forgotten, and in long term, you know, it's hard to sustain that. So, you know, and, and maybe that's just a, a thing that we're living with now where lifestyle games are just a thing of the past, right? You know, people are not committed to, you know, a game for 20 years, right? They're, they're, they're into what's, what's hot this week. It's just a reflection of the times. 
Um, he d- he does go into a little bit of detail about Vanguard, and uh, what I would what I would say is yes, Vanguard is not uh, an entry into Kings of War. It's you said it best. You said it was an entry into the world of Panathor. Um, I would say it's also an entry into Mantic Games, right? You can see their the quality of their sculpts and that kind of thing. But you know, if if you're trying to use Vanguard as a way to get people to play Kings of War, you're probably gonna it's probably a losing proposition. You know, locally. I was able to get Infinity players to play Vanguard. They will not play Kings of War. <laughs> Period. End of story. It's just not it's not it's not their cup of tea, right? However, Kings of War players, there's a few that'll play Vanguard. But again, if, if you're a diehard ranks and flanks guy, well then, you know, Vanguard's really probably not gonna draw you in. Yeah, and that doesn't make it bad, right? I mean there's different there's room there's spaces for all sorts of types of games, and I think that that vanguard does fit that sort of infinity crunchy type player you know but i think a lot of people like kings of war because they like the elegance of the rules and stuff like that so i don't think the 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 spirit and the flavor of the games is not transferable from one to the other like you said rob it does get you into the um into the the mantic family of games um but I just don't – I haven't seen a lot of people try – I've seen people who play Kings of War play a little Vanguard, but I haven't seen many people start with Vanguard who then decide to want to play Kings of War. I haven't seen that at all. And I would say that doesn't make Vanguard a failure, right? It, no, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's successful in its own right. You know, It's trying to do something different than Kings of War. And it's in our local area, it's pulling in people that we're not going to play Kings of War with us. So it's pulling in some new Mantic customers, which is never a bad thing. Uh, he does mention Dead Zone. You know, what I would say is there's a lots of Mantic games. You know, I think the trick is you can't be the champion of all of them because I know I am not smart enough to have working knowledge of all the rule sets. So it's best if you can find folks uh, to run to help you run some of these other games. That's great. Dead Zone is wonderful because it is a very intuitive, quick, fast-paced game that scratches the sci-fi itch which will pull in yeah, kill team and the 40k guys. Yeah, I think it's I think it's okay to approach it instead of being like I want to shell for a specific company to instead be like this is my game system that I want to promote, right? And that you know, I know they they've tried to run other mantic games as a way to build a community and get more people into Kings of War and that and that's good, but the mantic the, the games are so different that if you start trying to build the dead zone community, hoping that those people will transfer to your Kings of War community, you may not, that may not happen, right? Because maybe people like dead zone because it's a sci-fi skirmish game and not a rank and flank fantasy mass combat game. So I think that you can, you don't necessarily have to say if you're, if you're like want to build your Kings of War community, that you're going to get every Mantic game going, you know, that may be too much to bite off right in the beginning. It's a buffet, right? So and what you have to do is you have to understand the people that are in your community and you put things on the buffet that they're going to eat. For us, we've got Kings of War because we have a lot of Warhammer refugees and a lot of longtime Kings of War players, both casual and tournament players. Uh, we have a lot of sci-fi guys, so we play a fair amount of Dead Zone. Vanguard, relatively new for us, but it was really like an experiment during the lockdown to say, hey, these other folks that are playing Infinity and Malifaux and all this in Warcry and these skirmish games, hey, do you want to come try something different? And then we're, we we got a lot of different people playing a Mantic game. But you know, like Walking Dead, we we don't really play in my shop. Like a buffet, there's you know there's only there's only four entrees on the buffet, right? What Paige brings up about trying to get out of the shadow of Warhammer end times or trying to get away from the idea of Warhammer converts, I think that brings up a really good interesting point where. 
both Riley and Kyle Pretzel Twinkie were talking about in their comments, which is this idea of we need to move away from this binary of Warhammer, bad, Kings of War, good, and we're going to convert you. And instead, I think the secret sauce and the magic would be getting Kings of War to a point that it can be, begin to build on itself of its own volition, right? Of, of it building on itself as having a game with a good rule set, awesome models, a good community, and to where when you're trying to bring people in, you don't even talk about Warhammer. You know, you don't, because you don't need to, right? Because the uh, Mantic has the killer models, it has the scene. So it's like trying to get away from this idea, like what Kyle says of, he, uh, he says, I don't think you can win the GW conversion battle, and I don't think you should try. Which that's that really stood out to me is stop trying to convert people and instead we need to showcase the game for what it is. So okay, so how do we showcase? So Riley brings up the really good point of uh, uh, sort of the concept of uh, Mantic's models of maybe still uh, uh, not being seen as the greatest quality of their competitors at similar price points. Um, and that they're not a, a requirement to play, that you can play with whatever models. But I think there is something to be said about trying to get Mantic's physical presence in stores. You know, like you, when, when Ash and I were talking about, there's something to be said when you go into a game store and you want to play a game and it's on the shelves. So to me, it's like, right, it's the whole concept, and we've talked about this before, right, of, of build it and they will come, which is what came first, the chicken or the egg, and is is the game great because it's a great game system that you buy miniatures for, or are the miniatures so cool they get you into the game system? You know what I mean? I think that can be like a, a nonlinear circle, which means you can enter into the game from any of those fixed points of either liking the rule system or really liking the models. But I, I think that's a lot there, but I think the main thing is that uh, of trying to, to get away from this GW conversion and then also Manta continuing to grow so that their product can speak for itself. His post got me thinking, and and I really, it's been a long time since we had a new player show up to do a demo or that was watching us that's familiar with the M times. I mean, that's like a distant past. I mean, at this point, any Warhammer refugees that want to play Kings of War are probably already playing Kings of War, right? Uh, what we're getting, what I'm getting now is are just people that, you know, they play AOS or they've seen the Hobbit movies, right? They're not they're not necessarily old Warhammer fantasy battle players. Um, and he does make a comment too about ranks and flanks, you know, becoming an unknown concept. Here's the beautiful thing about it. It doesn't matter. All you got to do is play the game and it, it's very clear. It's a perfect concept to display on the table. And that's really what, you know, that's another thing Kyle says where he says, uh, you know, the best way to sell the game is people playing with models on a table in a public space, you know, making the game look fun. Um, and that's really like I think how you sell both mass battle games and then also how you sell more niche games, as people have to to see like well why do I want to spend all this time painting a, a whole huge army like why do I want to do that? Because when you're done, you have this cool badass looking army. Which if someone walks in and sees two people battling with fully painted armies, that's that magic that we all had. So I think for kings even more so. And again you know, during the time that we have right now with COVID, it's so much harder. But I think in general, Kings is a game that you build by playing. 
by by seeing it played, by playing it yourself, and seeing how easy and streamlined the rules are. You're going back to what Visibly Riley said, though. You know, he did. You know, he did bring up this perception that you know Mantic's quality is is lesser at the similar price point. You know, I, I really don't buy that anymore. I, I really think that's something that's faded over the years. If you want your community to grow, you need to be open to whatever they want to use. You, you should really just encourage them to buy models from their store. Yeah, I mean, Mike. The store owner is a perfect example. He's using cool mini or not Game of Thrones models to do a Kingdoms Men army. Some use Mantic. Some use AOS models. The reality is we don't care. <laughs> as long as you're you're you know you're investing in something that you know you that you're kind of paying where you play. That's at the end of the day the, the important piece to it, right? And that's sort of the wild card that's very difficult, and it's what we've we talked about with when Ash was on the episode, which is Mantic Kings of War is in the such unique space of being able to use whatever models you want. So often people will come in, see the two armies and they're like, Oh, this is amazing. What game is this? And it'd be like, Oh, it's Kings of War. And he's like, Oh, what army are you playing? And then I always be like, well, I'm playing this army, but these models are from this company. These models are from this company. These models are, which again, for that sort of, hobbyists who you want to have flavor and uniqueness to your army being able to use whatever you want's amazing but i think in many ways actually actually makes it harder to get people into the game in the beginning if they're not a, a refugee from another game system yeah, i'm talking about if they're just fresh have not played mass combat games but are interested in it if they're watching it i think they want to see something on the shelf that says in beautiful writing kings of war and feel like oh i'm buying into something that is legitimate that has a history, you know, that has some gravitas to it. Well, I mean, I would argue that every game has some degree of figure agnosticness to it, right? I mean, there's nobody hitting you with a bat to play AOS with, with GW models. But what I think does happen is if you're playing in a store, you know, communities evolve uh, and hopefully push forward like, hey, pay where you play. And there's there, there's, an, there's an expectation that, you know, you're buying into this, right? You're you're investing, as as we've said in the past, uh, and I think you know you know I, I can only speak for our community, but we don't require Mantic models, but we certainly want you to buy models from the store as the Mantic models uh, model range gets larger and the quality continues to improve. We're seeing more and more Mantic models on the table every day, right? I mean, every year it grows the number of people using Mantic models. And that's been the challenge in my store, Rob, in my, one of my local stores, Rob, is I've found it very difficult to try to build the Kings of War scene when the game store in which you're doing demos doesn't sell Kings of War models. And even if it's not like you have to use them, they won't carry, they'll special order it, but they just won't carry it. So then it means that if someone wants to get into rank and flank gaming if the store doesn't have anything for that then it becomes well they're not going to get into it because they have to go order something online like for example if you're in uh watching us play kings of war at a local game store uh and there's all the aos stuff right you can use that for kings of war but the problem is it's a different game system with different price structure so it ends up being like if you want to make a horde of the new elf spearman guy into a horde in kings of war it's like 300 dollars because it's 50 bucks for six models. So to get 20-something models, it becomes difficult. So I feel like in some ways, even if you're not mandating people use Kings of War models, I feel like there still needs to be at least a backbone of the product there. So someone can see the words Kings of War on a shelf. 
even if they want they want to pick a different model, there's something substantial about just seeing the store have the stuff on their shelves. Like the store has shown faith that it's a good game system. Whereas if you're demoing a game system in a store and the store doesn't even carry it, what's that telling the people? You know what I mean? So I think that's something you got to try to find a way to overcome. The in the store that you're demoing it should at least be open or try to get them open to at least carrying some of the product. So again, the people you're demoing the game to realize it's like a real thing. You know, getting new players to try Kings of War has been a lot easier since Mike carries more stuff. You know, while I, I would argue that a lot of, you know, army purchases aren't necessarily an impulse buy, there's a lot of things that can be, like a rule book, right? That's a great impulse buy. Like, hey, I like this game. I, I demoed it. It was cool. You know, and so, you know, we'll talk about some tips at the end, but, you know, certainly one tip is to see if you can get the store to at least stock the, the rule books, right? If they can get the rule books, that's that's the very first start. And, you know, you 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 slowly build that up. And if you start show if you start showing up in gaming every week and you're let the and try to open that dialogue with the store you're playing in, and granted, you know, we're approaching this from uh where it's safe for everyone to be in stores all the time, but if you do that, I think no game store owner who's worth their salt is not going to want to try to help you build your community. If you're showing up there and you, who's demoing Kings of War, is also buying sodas or snacks or you're spending your money there too, you know what I mean? If you build up that good relationship, game store owners should want to at least to try to get the foundational products, like you said, like rule books, maybe an army box or two of the newer stuff, you know, the stuff that has like the better quality models. To close out like these first few comments, you know, the one thing I will say is you got to get rid of the, the GW boogeyman, right? So stop worrying about GW. Let's worry about Mantic and Kings of War. Yeah, I think we need to conceptualize it as it's truly its own thing that completely stands alone on its own merits. And those merits are really great, right? A fun game system, a good community, models that keep getting better and better. And that's really what need to be like the guiding points or the guiding stars or the, the fundamentals of your group that you want to build is to look at Kings of War as it's truly its own thing. Well, the next comment comes from Darren Qualls. Hopefully I didn't slaughter it too bad. And I have to say, this is my favorite comment. Uh, he says, just keep your community, no matter how big, strong and healthy, be welcoming with open arms because I got news for you. More and more people are being priced out of GW games, and if nothing else, you can use Mantic Minis as proxies. Just being open and welcoming when they come and you can snatch them up. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's a great advice. Just be positive. Be open. I think you're completely right. You know, I've been chit-chatting a little bit lately with the, um, there's a group of guys playing Ninth Age um, in the Sacramento Davis area. And I've been chit-chatting with them again because in the end, building relationships with people from other game systems are, you know, it, it can only ever hurt you. It's never going or only ever help you. It's not going to hurt you, right? So I think just being nice and opening and welcoming to people. Um, and I think the priced out thing, I think that there's got to be some truth in that. And in that, there's always going to be people who have disposable income and can afford GW prices, Um but I mean, they are getting. I mean, their stuff is getting pretty expensive. That uh, creating a space for people who maybe want to try something else that's not quite as expensive is good. And I think it just again comes back to what we said earlier, Rob, which is 
uh, trying to think as little as possible that it's a me versus them or us versus them sort of scenario. So I did want to mention Matthew's, uh, Tyle's comment. He said, GW seems to have a retention rate a tobacco company would be jealous of. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah, yes, they do have their fair amount of fanatics. However, you know, Kings of War has their own fanatics. So next, let's talk about Jake Chirapika's comment. You know, this is another one that there's a lot of good stuff here to unpack. So I'm going to read a few excerpts, but, you know, he says, first, it seems like you're describing two separate issues. How do we sell Mantic products? And how do I recruit players, people to play the game? My personal perspective is a player. It's not my job to sell Mantic's products. That's on Mantic. I'm happy to paint and use their products. I like, but I'm equally happy to use other companies' stuff. I think once we, as community organizers, accept selling Mantic products aren't our job, the other side of recruiting people to play the game is a bit easier. So I'll stop there for a minute. I think I agree, right? I think ultimately, though, as a community organizer, you you need to support pay where you play, right? So if if you're if you if they're not buying Mantic Miles, then they're buying something just to keep that store rolling. Um, as a community member, not an organizer, you know, I choose to, to support Mantic. So I buy lots of Mantic stuff. But what, what's your take on that? To me, I, I get where he's coming from. But to me, I, I disagree. I think that they're linked. I think that for people to get into Kings of War, there needs to be a Mantic product presence in that store. Whether or not, like I said, the person decides to buy those models or buy Song of Ice and Fire models to use. I in in having trying to build a game build a Kings of War community in a game store for the last two years that doesn't sell Kings of War models, it's really tough. And I, I've had a lot of times that people ask me where on the shelf are the models that we're playing with. And I say, well, you know, that he'd be happy to order them for you, and then they've lost interest and they moved on to something else. So I think it is a little bit of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, I I, th- I think it's more fluid in that there we got to try to find a way where we can get people involved in the game and not push the miniatures because that's not what I'm saying either. I mean, I have armies that don't have Mantic models in it. So, but I think there there is a, a relationship between the two. One of the nice things about Kings of War is that it's that it is quote unquote figure agnostic in that there is a degree of personal flexibility in the models you choose. I think what he's saying is that's not his mission is to sell Mantic models. I think ultimately the mission is sell the game. And if you sell the game and you, you did a good job with the store, they stock Mantic models, the models will sell themselves. Yeah. And again, I see where he's coming from. I just haven't quite figured out how to grow to grow the game within a store that doesn't sell the products. Um, because like you said, I think it comes it comes down to people who are like, um, oh, this is cool. Let me go buy the rule book. Uh, the rule book's not there. You have to special order it. So I completely agree with him that we should be focusing on the on, on the game. But I think there needs to be some sort of um, just maybe just the basics, like you said, Rob. Like the, just the rule, all the rule books. You know, maybe if there's a way to, if your if your store doesn't want to stock the stuff, at least stock all the stuff that you have to have to play, like the books and everything. Yeah, I mean, you got to work with the store, right? And and most stores want to make a profit, right? They want to sell product. They want to be sustainable. Uh, you just got to show them that it's the right business opportunity. It is a bit like chicken or the egg, though, right? Like to your point, where are the Mantic models? Oh, they're not here. I mean. They, they, I hate to say it, but the store needs to jump first, right? They need to invest at least in that those core products. And just have an active role in what's going on, being like, you know, 
if there's people coming in to be like, oh, you know, I'd be happy to pre-order it or, or maybe have something set up if you're running a demo and people are interested in pre-ordering, maybe you are, are special ordering, maybe try to get your store on your demo day to give everyone 10% off any Mantic products they want to order. Even if the person can't buy it right that second, they can order it at a discount. I think, so I think there's ways that we can get around stores not wanting to carry a line of products, not knowing if they're ever going to sell it. Because I think stores having that fear is a justified fear, right? Because carrying a big line of stuff that you don't know whether or not it's going to sold. I mean, look at all the Rune Wars stuff that was selling on, you know, pennies on the dollar. Um, so I totally get that. But I think there needs to be some sort of way... Um, you know, like on demo days, people get a discount if they want to buy Mantic, or not even Mantic products. Uh, they want to buy uh, stuff to build their Kings of War army from whatever company. They get like a discount or something. There just needs to be like a pathway to purchase for people wanting to build armies through the store in which in where they see the game played. Because I think that's how you you roll. That's how you get people in. You get them in watching the game. Then they make a purchase, and then they come back next week. But so many times I've been playing the game in a store and had people come up to me and just have nowhere to send them except to give them websites on where they can go buy stuff. So his next comment in his thread is, he says, I think Kings of War organizers need to gravitate more towards some fun, casual, and narrative-based play. Slow grow leagues, Mac campaigns, even paint competitions could go a long way to appealing to players who put game mechanics second to others. You know, I, I 100% agree. I mean... We shouldn't think, you know, that we we know everything, right? And that all players are all, you know, all players are all about the rules mechanics, you know, and our hardcore tournament guys. Different players have different motivations. And what I have found in general, there's way more casual folks than tournament folks. And so that should be your target audience. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a great idea. I think uh, I know in Austin and other places they've had a lot of success with throw slow grow leagues. So just having a game night is not the only way that you can grow games. You know, having these other events um, are also good creative ways to get people uh, into the game. His next thing is he says, in the meantime, and this is a hurl, I think most Kings of War players need to cross. I'm playing 40K and Warcry with the group. Rather than drawing a line in the sand and saying Mantic or nothing, I'm playing what the rest of the group seems to be hyped about. That way, once I'm ready to pipe something Mantic, I'm not an unknown element, but rather a dude who's been playing with them for months. I mean, this is this is key, right? Crossplay is key. Because you're not selling the game by itself. You're selling the player base. You're selling the community, right? Like, And if they know you, then they're, they're you know, and, they, and they've got game experiences, even if it's outside of Mantic or Kings of War, they're going to be more inclined to give, you know, give your demo a shot if they know you're a cool person. Yeah, no, completely. I have a group I've talked about them on the on the cast before, a group of guys from Sacramento that play mostly 40K. Uh, and I play 40K with them to sort of when they get the fantasy juices flowing, they'll play Kings of War with me. And granted, I love all different games, but I think this is a really fantastic point Jake makes here, which is be open. If you like playing different game systems, just do it. Don't be like, well, I'm not going to play with you guys unless you play Kings of War. Because it's like the be the inside agent, right? Be like the, the deep cover operative of uh, uh, of the game so that when you're playing other game systems with your friends, you can always... Uh, you have more legitimacy to get them to try Kings. We all like lots of games, don't we? Don't don't most people like different games? I mean, you know, if if you only played checkers, you'd probably be bored eventually, right? Exactly. So, 
Well, I think one point he brings up also, Rob, is he said um, narrative play, for instance, is nearly completely non-existent. I think that's probably been more true at the past. Now, I know um, uh, Halpy's Rift has come out, and then they're getting ready for that um, online narrative campaign uh, into the into the Rift. So I think this is something uh, uh, Mantic has been getting better with, right, uh, of providing um, more ways to play. Um, so I think this is something that's getting better. But And again, this is something that may just oftentimes stuff have to do in-house stuff. You know, develop your own. I know. Well, yeah. Uh, International Campaign Day, for example, yeah. right? It's not Mantic, but that's been a smash success. And I know Greg had a, like, a cool campaign of an island, and they were looking for shards of the Fanulian Mirror. So, I mean, there's lots of stuff you can do for a narrative uh, play. It's just narrative. It just has to be, I, I think, sometimes it's a lot of work to create a community, let alone is it to do that. And then also try to write rules for all this other campaign type stuff. You know, a narrative play doesn't necessarily have to be like a full blown campaign. You can just make it uh, be an aset, you know, asymmetric scenario. It can just be an interesting scenario. And I think the best type of narrative play is what's created at the local level. That's tweaked by the players, right? Where they have some investment. So Mantis done an okay job over the years. They're, they're continuing to grow. We've got destiny Kings edge of the abyss. They've got campaign products, you know, or narrative casual play products out there. Halby's Rift is one more piece to that. And it's just the tools are there. You just, you just got to make use of them. So let's keep moving on. Let's move down to Kyle Timberlake. He's got a few um, interesting nuggets in his comment. Primarily GW gamers just need a nudge to see the bigger picture. You know, I think that's true to some extent, right? Because, I mean, there, there may be, and this is going all the way back to Paige's original post, there are some people that know the hobby as GW, right? And and I think they have, they don't necessarily, I mean, I guess they have blinders on, right? And, you know, if you just give them a, a slight nudge to let them know there's more out there, they may be willing to try something. And I've yet to see old school fantasy guys are, are besides the sort of uh, <clears throat> population that really enjoyed trying to find the cheapest, most broken list as possible. But, but most of your average Warhammer fantasy player that I get to play six games of Kings of War, six games is like my sort of sweet spot. 99% of those love it, and that's their new game. So I think what Kyle's saying is really uh, a, a good thing, which is um, just trying to get people to play. And the easiest way to do that is he says, let people borrow armies to play is a great thing uh, to do. Or, or letting people use their own models, right? Just, you know, let them with cardboard bases. Let them, let them just get them to the table. You know, so I think like uh, I know Mike Carter has like a thousand point painted army, you know, uh, for almost all the factions and granted that's a lot of investment, but I think, you know, contrast paints, you know, get, get an army box here, here or there, get at least. So, so you have two, you have like a good a faction and the evil faction. I think that's always nice when you're demoing a game, you have like maybe the dwarves are undead or something like that and just have those armies or have models available for people to try. I think, um, is a real good way to, to to get people in. But that's sort of where my focus, I think, and what's resonating with me through these comments is whatever you can do to get people to see the game played or for them to actually play it themselves, because I really think the, the awesomeness of this game is on the table and not as much from the outside. So it's really like, how do I get that first? How do I get that person to actually start rolling dice? Charles Faduke. 
I hope I pronounced that right, has a, a pretty nice comment about some players' entry point to these type of games is through the fluff, through the the lore, you know, and I think his 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 final statement is common. He says, I guess what I'm saying is that it takes more than a great set of rules. Kings of War needs more capture your imagination material. And, you know, I think I would agree with them. I think they're getting better. They're writing, obviously, the fluff from you know, second edition rulebook to third edition vastly improved both in quantity and quality. The novelizations are rolling out audiobooks. We just need time, right? But the takeaway from Charles's bigger picture here that I that I would make is that you've got to understand the people coming to play with you, right? The people that you are possibly introducing Kings of War to. We're not all the same, right? S- some people are going to be all about the rules, and, and that's that's fine. Some are going to be all about that hobby where immersion is king. You know, i got these cool models. Or some will be all about the narrative. I mean, so you just need to cater your, uh, your approach to the type of people you're demoing to to give them the experience that they're looking for. Because ultimately, Kings of War can fulfill all those requirements in various degrees of success. I mean, I think the, the technical rules junkie, yeah, it's Kings of War is a no-brainer. Uh, to the hobby... I think again, it's a no-brainer. The the fact that it is figure agnostic and the and the and the uh, dynamic basing you can do with multi bases. Uh, the fluff one, the third piece. I think that's something that still needs a little bit more work, but it's getting better every every day. We've said it often is sometimes it can feel like they'll do Mantic will do like a half step back, two steps forward. Or they're a company that's that's willing to take chances and try things and put something out and see how it goes and not have to make something perfect from the beginning, but sort of roll with the punches and, and see things evolve and tip their toes in a little bit of this, tip their toes in a little bit of that. But you look at each of the releases of their main game, you know, second edition Kings was through the Kickstarter, right? And then so was Vanguard, but look at the quality of the Vanguard boxes and releases. And then look at all of the art and, uh, uh, releases surrounding uh, Armada. You know, each big thing that they do is better organized uh, and well and and more polished. And there is progression there. You know what I mean, Rob? I mean, just well, it's organically improving, right? Yes. Over, over, or, yeah, day and by day. Sometimes one thing will go up and another thing will go back down. Is you know, so there is some trial and error that they're working through. But I, I think it's undeniable to look at the second edition rulebook and look at the third edition rulebook and not be like, look, there's a massive, a massive jump in depth between those two books is undeniable. I think, but it is an area that. Um, you know, uh, that they're trying to work on, that sometimes they get a base hit and sometimes they strike out on when they're doing that stuff. But it is something that I think they are generally improving in. Yeah. And Joe Neat's comment, you know, he says, as stated in multiple posts before me, the reason and motivation is key. While Kings of War is growing, most of the game is centered around tournaments. This is not a bad thing, but the non-tournament gamers far outweigh the latter. It gets back to what I just said, right? I mean... It's not always about tournament gaming and, and competitive gaming. Sometimes it's about just having a fun mass battle. Played two games on Saturday and I had a great time. And I think the better the fluff becomes and the better that the miniatures become, that's when you'll capture those non-tournament gamers. I think the non, non-tournament, more narrative type guys, those are the ones who are drawn more to systems that have awesome stories or amazing models. So I think that's a, a space of player that we can begin to recruit from, but that's going to take a little bit of, along with us, Mantic working to make their products better and better, which I know they're they're doing. 
So, but I that is a space of player that that could be tapped. But I, that is one that I think is somewhat out of our hands, and that those players need a game system with cool models and cool stories. So Aramis makes a comment that reminds me that everyone's definition of fun can be different, right? You know what he's what he says is you know that's not a bad gaming group. Six players is enough to play a different person every round in a one day three day three round event or a good mega battle a 10 person tournament is a good one day it doesn't have to be a huge tournament to be a fun day you know it's uh he also says i, I was in a group around that size in south africa and it was great you know take care of the core by running things when that's a thing again anyways i think you know the point that i would pull from aramis's thing is that your definition of success could be different than my definition of success but at the end of the day, it's not about a numbers numbers of people that are participating. It's about the quality of player that you got. Are they are they fun people to play with? Yeah, I think that just goes back to the, um, uh, you know, often we talk about like the best color is done, and sometimes you have these grandiose plans that hold you back, or you get analysis paralysis, or you you try to make something so big that you end up having nothing. So I think, again, it's okay to start small with a four or five, six-person group and just build from there. Don't even stress about anything bigger. Uh, momentum happens, right? Snowballs happen. I think, again, just starting with that core group of good people is a, a valid thing to begin a scene with. And fun is not correlated to the number of players. Not at all. It doesn't always have to be a big, grandiose thing. Sometimes just, just a game is enough. And Stu gives us a comment that reminds us about historical, right? He brings up that, you know, he's coming at it from a historical background, you know, where ranks and flanks are the norm and collecting large armies as usual. You know, it's just, it's a, it's another great reminder that that's another entry point to Kings of War, right? I know locally we've had two or three folks that joined our community and granted they don't play all the time, but they bought armies, um, based on the historical book, right? One had a Macedonian army, one has a samurai army, um, and they either play it with the historical rules or they would just play it as kingdoms of men. So, you know, just one more example of the accessibility of Kings of War to an existing player base. And then we had a great post from the, I still don't know if he's my real friend, friend Tom Annis. Um, You know, Tom gets a lot of slack sometimes uh, as, or we give him jokingly call him the spy master and all this sort of nefarious things. But in the end, I think Tom is a really good hearted, great guy with a, a very uh, keen intellect. Um, and he says uh, he has some really good points, Rob. Um, first he says, um, I just take a step back and take a deep breath. COVID-19 is a once in a generation event uh, that is particularly harmful to tabletop wargaming. You know, we said that at the open, right, Rob, that all the stuff we're talking about is ideas to sort of keep in mind when things maybe return to normal and how do we build a scene and sort of um, um, uh, the times where we are able to congregate more freely. So I think, again, take a deep breath uh, if, you're, if your local scene is struggling and do realize that we are in this crazy, crazy world um, right now and that that's okay. All things pass. It's not, so, it's not a matter of, uh, of if, it's a matter of when. Um, so, but just keep that in mind, right? That it is, uh, that this is in building a community, we are sort of trying to do that with one arm, one foot tied behind our back and we're 
crawling backwards. Tom needs to get out of my head. You know, when, when Jake brought up that it's not his job to sell Mantic models, I think Tom lays out lays, lays this out better than, than, than anybody. You know, he says, you know, it's not your job and shouldn't be your focus to help sell Mantic models. The best thing you can do in this regard is one or more of the following. Buy and play with Mantic models. Two, pay where you play, even if the product isn't on the shelves and you have to special order. And three, help build a local community of Kings of War players and encourage them to do one and number two. Number three will be f- will be by far the most impactful. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I was trying to convey when we were commenting on Jake's post. You know, it's not that, you know, I'm actively trying to sell Mantic models, but I always, when I can, play with painted Mantic armies to showcase the armies. But most importantly pay where you play and encourage others to do the same. Yeah, and when you're buying those models, let them know what you're buying them for. Even if it's for another game another game system, say, oh yeah, I've I'm, I'm been playing Kings of War, it's super fun, this is what army I'm going to use, but that's really the key, right, is to buy Mantic models and or buy models, uh, but buy them where you're trying to set up the games to play. Um, and I think any store again, that's worth its salt. It's going to respect that. It's going to see that you're doing that and they're going to go out of your way to try to create a, a local scene for you guys to have. Um, so I think that there's some really great ideas. Um, and I think Tom also mentions the idea of not using Vanguard Armada as recruitment tools. Maybe they can be used, but, but really trying to keep that laser focus, uh, on building, um, Kings of War scene. Now I, now I see Vanguard and Armada, a little bit differently to maybe Dead Zone or other Mantic games. I think still think there's some value in playing Armada in Vanguard to build a Kings of War local scene, but I do like the sort of nugget of what Tom is trying to say, which is be really focused on what you want to do, which is I want to build not just Mantic games in my community, I want people playing this one specific game. And then he says, third, he said, I would take a, a step back and organize your thinking about what your ideal Kings of War local community would look like. You know, how often would you have game nights? Which day of the week? Where would you play? Do you even want to run local tournaments? Uh, do you want to do a league? I know the Southern California guys, they have a, a, a Kings of War league that they do. Um, so I think taking a look back and thinking about, well, what do you want? What's your end goal? Like, what, what are you building a local scene for? Do you just want to have people to play with every weekend? Do you eventually want to run a GT? You know, I think having some long-term vision about where you want your community to go could help inform your, like, decisions when you're first getting started. Organization is key, right? Because those that fail to plan, plan to fail, right? Yeah, it's just like having an idea of, like, positive visualization or if you can visualize, like, get your vision board and be like, well, where, what is my end goal? And how am I going to get there? It just helps you know what having an idea of what your destination is can kind of help guide you consciously and subconsciously when you're taking those initial steps. So next up, we've got a comment from Dylan Murray, and, and I'm just going to read the first sentence. You know, Once the lore expands more and the Amantic model range expands, the quality level they are now, the game will grow organically in my opinion he's 100 percent right um what one piece i would add to that is we gotta get it on the store shelves because if if you want the if you want the models to and the game itself to organically infest you know our gaming culture here like in the u.s for example we got to get it on store shelves because that's that's ultimately what's gonna you know uh, facilitate organic growth yeah and, and mantic's role in that right rob is to make the most amazing products and ship them as timely as possible that's like yeah the- that's their stake in the game, right? Is 
uh, you know, build it and they will come. I say that all the time. I think that's true, right? Continue to build better and better miniatures. Make sure those miniatures that are purchased are shipped timely and arrive on release dates. And if you can do that, then that's going to make store owners more inclined to carry it. You know, then again, we begin to build that momentum, that circular sort of relationship between uh, product and sale. But no, I think it's a great point is the, the better the models become, the higher quality uh, that the game has, uh, the easier it will be for store owners to want to carry it, I think. Aramis hit us again with another nugget of knowledge. Which an important point to note is that no game appeals to everyone. That's my saying, right? There's a game for everyone and everyone for a game. And if you like AOS or you like Malifaux, that's okay. Yeah, rank rank and flank fantasy wargaming is never going to be as big as sci-fi skirmish. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it's it's we've for all the reasons we've said, but it also is this magically splendid and wonderful game system and wonderful style of game that is nostalgic and historical and awesome and so many cool in so many ways that I think that there all is always going to be a population playing it, but that that population is always going to be somewhat of a niche of a niche. But 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 that's okay, right? It's okay that that we have like the Goldilocks games, you know, where it's not too big and not too small, just the right size. That's the goal that I'm always trying to push the game towards. Like, is getting it into that where it's, you know, just the right size to have that feel of a bigger game, but that's not too small or not too big. So it's a good point by him, I think. We can all play multiple games, right? I keep I keep maybe harping on that, but I, I think the day of like a lifestyle game where people only play one game competitively, for example, I think that's over, you know, um, I, you know, pe- people, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a classic example. I play mostly Kings of War, but I play man, you know, a lot of Manta games, but I also play Star Wars Legion. I mean, outside of 40 K really, there's like not many. I mean, I, I feel like that is like the one lifestyle game that still exists really. And then other people are in other games. But like you said, Rob, before it used to be GW and then the number two miniature game was 75% less in quality. But now there are so many games in that that B space. You know, if you have GW's game A, and and then we have all of the games in in that B space, is that there is there's a lot of competition for different game systems right now, and that's why it's important that we remember we're all doing the same hobby, right? Because what if the your Armada player eventually our Star Wars Legion gets tired and wants to try something else? If you're buddies, you can be like, hey, try this game. Danny Graves uh, has a really great post, but I'm going to pull one sentence out of it. He says, the the Mantic model quality is jumping leaps and bounds. They're not just cheap Warhammer knockoffs anymore, but the resins are forged build quality at the third the price. Yeah, like it goes back to that comment about, you know, the visibly Riley made earlier about the perception of, you know, the Mantic is lower quality at the same price point. That was eight years ago, right? Like if you go, well, let's just take their Vanguard models, for example. Now, first of all, they're not, super cheap, right? They're super cheap compared to Forge World, but like, you know, they're still 12, 14 bucks a model for some of those resin sculpts, you know? They're not cheap. They are super high quality. Some of the best buttery smooth resins on the the planet, you know? So like, I I think uh, this is a good example of, I think he, he sees the reality in which we are in, but there's certainly, we need to, we need to carry that message out. Like, hey, we know that you used to think 
the Mantic models have more poor quality. But have you looked at them lately? Because if you haven't, maybe you should look at those new hard plastic goblins or those new hard plastic uh, Ratkin models. And I think that's like what Riley is trying to say in that there is that perception that Mantic models suck. And some of their lines of their, some chunks of their line are not super great. Um, but like you said, the new goblins are awesome. They're and I've done a lot with resins from Poland, from all of Raging Heroes resins, Shibor resins, um, Atlantis miniature resins. So I've gotten resins from a lot of uh, boutique up to bigger communities. And Mantic's resins are amazing. They're great. Um, I think anyone who's really built them has seen the quality of their resin and the quality that their army. So I do believe this is somewhat of just like, this is just going to take time. And it's going to take store owners correctly marketing the Mantic models uh, for that perception to be defeated. But it is a perception that I think is starting to change. But that's just going to – there's no magic pill to speed that up. Uh, it's just going to take consistency on Mantic's end of continuing to release good models. And for us to keep playing with them right in public. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, they're like, whoa, what is that? Well, that, sir, is a boomer sergeant. Well, that model's amazing. And there's a lot of threads we've been talking about, Rob, tonight, which is the human mind wants to go, I do A first, and then I do B, and then I do C, and that gets me D. The order isn't, you know, there's, there's ingredients, but you're putting them all in the same bowl, and the order in which you put the ingredients in, really, there's some flexibility there. Yeah, there's some give and take and some malleableness to... You know, do we get the models in the store first? Do we start playing in the store first? I mean, there's different things. You can be approaching this thing from different angles in a nonlinear way. Um, but they're sort of the key things to keep in your brain when you're thinking about community building. So Michael Wayne says, as the models get better and Mantic's North American distribution grows in size, the community will grow. 100% agree. You know, he's talking along the same lines in terms of the quality going up. People will want to buy more and more Mantic models. But he brings in another point, too, about... Mantic needs to continue to improve, doing a better job getting models to those 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 stores, right? Because over the years, we've had some interesting dilemmas, right? I'll give you a classic one right now. Dead Zone. We have been trying to buy Dead Zone for the last six months. <laughs> we have tons of players. They want to buy it. Mike cannot get it. <laughs> so, like, you know, that that's a problem. I assume as Mantic gets bigger and, and they're able to invest in more infrastructure, it'll improve, but there's growing pains. And that's just something Mantic has to do, right? That's their stake in the game. They have to make cool models. They have to get them to stores to sell on the day that those models are being released in a timely manner. So that's really like when you think about community building, there's stuff that we can take on as community members, and then there's stuff that we have no control over. And those are some of the things that Mantic needs to take ownership of, which is continuing their awesome work and making better and better models and to take a step and really think about what's the best way for us to get these to stores in a timely way so that they don't, you know, we, the last thing we want is stores who decide to take a chance and start ordering Mantic product and then never get it on time or it doesn't show up or whatever, whatever the case is. And I'm super excited that Armada is doing so well, but that this shouldn't be an excuse for not doing the basics of getting products to people when they order them in a timely way. So next we've got a comment from Mo Gaddafi and the one word I'm going to take from it is clubhouse. You know, clubhouses are really interesting to me because I've, I've got some experience with it. It does. I do realize that a lot of our international listeners, their their public playing experience is much different. Like here in the U.S., we typically have a friendly local gaming store that we play at, and I know in the U.K. it's common to have clubhouses. So, so clubhouses are an interesting thing. You know, before we had War Room Hobbies last year, I guess it opened in August of 2019. You know, we had the Rat House, which was owned by one of our club members. You know, clubhouses 
you know, bring an entirely different set of challenges, which are not necessarily, um, they're not bonuses, right? It makes it even that much harder because it's sort of like you have a clubhouse uh, and which is by invitation only, right? Because you don't get like walk through traffic. I'll be honest with you. When we had our two or three year stint at the rat house, we did not add a single new player to our community. But once we got into the store, it exploded and it all comes back to, you know, pay- playing in public. And so if you're going to have a clubhouse, my tip would be, you know, make it a public space where, you know, you, you put it out there that, hey, anybody's welcome and make it a inviting space. Yes. You know, yeah, I think that playing at people's houses is always fun, but it's really uh, I would I, w- I would if you had the opportunity to play at a store instead of at someone's house and you're trying to grow your scene, you should be playing at a store. Uh, as long as you know it's safe to do so uh, with wherever your local community is at uh, in the fight against COVID, but in in, in actuality, you're not really going to find new players playing at your house because someone's not going to walk by and be like, "What are you doing?" So, in general, if you do have an option to be playing at a store or someone's house when you're building your scene, go to the store, even though it's nice to stay home and do whatever. But if you have the option, you really should be playing and buying stuff at the store that you're playing playing at. So Craig Burks has a comment. The one thing about Kings of War is that you don't need Mantic miniatures to play. In fact, starting out, you don't need miniatures at all. Because of the rank and flank and everything working on the base size, I used cardboard cutouts to play my first game. This is a an interesting point because I think it, it's a good reminder that we really don't have the barrier to entry. <laughs> I think the barrier to entry that, oh my god, there's so many, that's a myth. You can get started in this game with some office supplies, and a little time. No, I think it's a great point. And I know Br- Britton and I have played tons of games um, in the store with uh, cardboard cutouts or with blank bases. Um, and sometimes we feel guilty, right? Because you want to be showing fully painted models. But it's a really easy way if you if someone's Kings of War curious, just have some blank bases and be like, yeah, sure, man. Just, ha-, you know, use, just write on the base, you know, with a little sticky note what the unit is. It's really the only war game that is that you can proxy a game in five seconds. Literally, go to your box of empty bases. I'll have my army. Let's play. So be open to that, I think, is a great idea. So Lamar Eddings mentions, uh, I'm all about the theory of growing a community, but total players isn't the be-all, end-all. I have way too many armies. We could play every day of the week and not repeat. So, yeah, I mean, the, the point is that he's making is a very interesting point. Number one, we've said it before, it doesn't matter how many people are in your community. But he's bringing up the other added point is some of us have lots of armies. So even if you're playing the same opponent, they're not playing the same army every time. Even if you're seeing as four people and everybody has three or four armies, that's still an okay amount of mix of armies. So it doesn't feel repetitive. Yeah, and again, it comes back to that proxy, right? If you want to try something new, just get some some empty bases and go for it. And the final comment that I wanted to highlight is, you know, Pete Jones says it's a slow grow thing. You know what? I, I can't say it any better than that. I mean, we are in this for the long haul. Hell, we've been at it for 10 years. We're never going to finish the race. Yeah, and I think, again, that goes back to there's no one answer right no one no there isn't one ideal community communities are different the ways to build them is different i think in the end i like to think of just like northern stars right rob things to guide you in your your journey on community building and i think it just goes back to kind of what jake and tom and some of those people played which is get out there in the world when it's safe play games bring out your models buy models from where you play encourage people that you're playing with to buy their products from in stores 
and just realize that it just takes time. Um, but I think the best, the, the more you can get out there playing with, you know, full armies, uh, running demos, being open to new players using, um, you know, uh, blank bases or whatever they want. Uh, I think those are some sort of key things you can try to stay connected to. As I mentioned, Rob, there's lots of different like ingredients, secret sauce, little different things for uh, how to build a community. And I think that we can't really give the audience or I don't think there's any one like saying, go out and do this. It will work for you because in the end, every community is super different. But I know you have sort of put a list together for things that have worked for you. So why don't you take us through like sort of your tips for community building, you know, some stuff that have worked for you. And granted, again, I say this may not work for everyone, but at least what we can speak to is what we've done in our own communities to try to grow players. So why don't you take us through your sort of tips for community building? First thing is, you know, your success is defined by having fun, not by the number of players. I don't ever worry about how many players are in the community. It's always quality over quantity. I remember this conversation with Robbie who ran, I think, the first real GT that we had for Kings of War, like way back in 2016. He was so disappointed. He said, oh, we only have eight players. And I remember looking at him straight in the face and said, well, did we play with eight players? It's not a question, right? It doesn't matter. It's the right eight players. We had a great time. It was amazing. Don't ever get discouraged. The second tip is make a partner of your friendly local gaming store. This is super important if you want to grow the, the community, right? See if they will order Mantic stuff for you as you build the scene. So like at first, do special order builds, especially the stuff you're using. Buy your stuff through them. Have them order it. And then you know what? Build and paint those models and then play those models at the store. And then try the next step. See if they'll stock those fundamental things for the game, like rule books and measuring sticks, maybe a few blister packs. And then just over time, you just try to tie the growth of inventory with the growth of the community. The next one is consistency is key. People seeing you play in public with painted models every week, you become dependable and worth the time investment. Next, sell the positives of our game rather than the negatives of their game. No one wants to be told that their game sucks, right? It's also not going to be cool with the, with the game store. They need to still sell those other games. So just keep in mind that there's a game for everyone and everyone for a game, and you focus on why Kings of War is amazing, and you don't care about everything else. Yeah, I think this one really, really resonated with me, Rob, the whole idea of like other people who spend a lot of money in their game system don't want to hear that that was a bad purchase or that their game is bad instead of tell them how great Kings of War is not in direct relation to their game is not also great. But Kings is great in these other ways. And it's not mutually exclusive. Exactly. If Kings of War is good, does not make AOS bad. No, it's just I mean it's it's yeah. apples and oranges. Success is not a finite commodity. It's not like there's only a limited amount of good stuff. You know what I mean? It could multiple things can be good. Next, keep it approachable. There are perceived barriers to entries that can be mitigated simply by affording accommodation. So let them play with unpainted models. Let them play with a wooden, you know, MDF base with an AOS model, blue tacked on. Let them play with cardboard bases. It doesn't matter how you get them to the table as long as you get them to the table. And when you get them to the table, don't throw everything at them all at once. Don't play with 3,000 points. Play at the smaller points. Maybe even play with armies like ogres who don't necessarily play in all phases of the game. Make this experience as clean as possible for your players. And then next... Just continue to play and, and showcase the Mantic models. 
And this will obviously lead to hopefully selling some in the store. If folks don't like Mantic models or what if they're playing herd, right? Where Mantic doesn't make models for it, then just make sure you are encouraging them to pay where they play. You know, in our store, we, we, the, fantasy wise, we've got GW, Game of Thrones, Conquest, obviously Mantic, Reaper, you know. You know, if you're playing Kings of Men, sure, a Game of Thrones army is probably pretty easy to do. Yeah, I think you have a bunch of really great stuff there, Rob. I think the takeaways for me is, again, there's lots of different things you can do. There's no real, like, right or wrong way to build community. I think in the end, try to create, you know, um, create the type of games and community that you would want to be a part of. That's the awesome part of community building is you have that power to, to, you know, try to pick like-minded people. Uh, and then in the end, just play games, you know, pay, pay where you play. Um, and then just be open to the different kinds of stuff and realize it takes time. And then it's like, that it's a process that you don't have to do everything, you know, in building the community. It's not like you have to design the game and make the miniature. I mean, there's some stuff that Mantic is, is going to have to keep doing on their end as their part in, in keeping the community growing. So it doesn't have to be, don't feel like it has to be all on your shoulders in the end. Uh, a lot of this stuff can be worked on together, I think. Yeah. And I would also suggest if you want to take it to the next level, you know, consider joining and becoming a Mantic Pathfinder, right? There's some definite perks for doing that. It can't be understated the, 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 the great level of support that you get from your, your fellow Pathfinders. And then I would say, Rob, if you have a small community that's growing five, six, seven or eight players and you want to come on the show and talk about your scene, you know, maybe try to get out there to other people in your area, just message Rob or message myself or Mark or Alex or Matt or any of the guys, Steve, just let us know and we'll be happy to bring you on and do like a little community spotlight on your, to try to get you guys some more exposure. Yeah. But just reach out to us. You know, either there's always going to be like players in your area. I think playing the same game as you and you like have no idea until something just, you know, turn of the chance you run into each other and you realize you're all playing the same game. So just let us know. We'd be happy to have you guys on the air. Well, I think with that, I think, uh, Jeremy, you want to take us out? Yeah, thanks again for uh, listening. And thanks again for everyone who responded to Paige in his thread. Some really great content, some really great ideas, some really great back and forth, you know, some really good discussions of maybe people having different points of views, but realizing that we can still have really constructive um, dialogues with, with, with each other, even when we're coming from different backgrounds or different ideas or different spaces. So in general, the, a lot of the dialogues on the Countercharge Facebook page have been really great le- lately. So just keep it up. And until next time, keep on countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. 